you would keep your Bibles open to this passage of Scripture, we will walk through it together as we spend really the message, the sermon today is really a preparation. It's a time for us to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper that we will celebrate today. So let's pause just a minute after hearing the reading of this passage, and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, we love you and praise you, especially, Father, when we come to observe this sacred, special meal. It reminds us, Father, of the depth of the grace and mercy of your love lavished upon us in the sacrificing of your only begotten Son. And so therefore, Father, we as your children can only respond with love and adoration and praise to you for your goodness to us is absolutely astounding given the fact that we are so undeserving and unworthy of such a marvelous and perfect ultimate final sacrifice. So we celebrate Christ our Savior today. We do so every Sunday, but especially this Sunday. We celebrate his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. We look to your Son as our only means, our only salvation our only life, our only hope. To him be glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we, as we talk about and meditate and think about what, how you instruct us in your word today, help us to make personal, individual, real-life application that in just a few moments, Lord, the taking of the supper together today might be as meaningful as you intend it to be, as helpful, as spiritually nourishing, as spiritually warm and enriching as it is meant to be. So, Father, may our faith be increased today, our affection for Christ be deepened today, And as a result of that, that we would be different. We would be new. We would be renewed. And as we are so focused on the Lord and on his death and on salvation in him today, if there would be someone gathered with us, Father, who is apart from Christ, may today, Lord, they see the Savior as so compelling, as so winsome, as so glorious, that they simply cannot resist and that they would embrace Jesus as Savior so that they might profess Christ together with us in this meal. We ask all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Recapturing the purpose of the Lord's Supper. 
A spiritual pitfall that we have to always be on guard against and we must seek to avoid is losing the purpose of spiritual things. Because once the meaning and the purpose of spiritual things are lost to us, then the, the exercise itself, the, the, even though it might be practiced regularly, it is actually of no spiritual avail. It does us no spiritual good. We, we derive no spiritual benefit from simply going through the motions of any type of spiritual endeavor. And that's because the, the benefit, the spiritual benefit that we draw from spiritual activities, they do not come from the act in and of themselves, but rather from the faith that is being practiced and evidenced and displayed within and through the act. So underneath the act is the faith the substance that gives the act its meaning. If you remove the faith out from under the act, then it becomes meaningless. But when you have the act and you have the faith giving it its substance, its grounding, then it becomes immeasurably meaningful, full of meaning. Take Bible reading, for example. The purpose of Bible reading is to daily see the glory of God. To, to be able to take to heart, to, to embrace, to treasure what the God of the universe has revealed to us. To be able to, as believers in Christ, to, to adhere to, to believe in, to ground our lives in the, the things of the Scripture so that we might be growing in Christ-likeness. If we lose that purpose, Bible reading becomes nothing more than simply a notch on a checklist. Like any other notch on the checklist for all of the other activities of the day. Another example would be baptism. The purpose of baptism is to publicly identify with Christ. To announce to the gathered group of fellow believers that we were once dead in our sin and have now been raised to new life in Christ. That it's not this baptism that has made us right with God. But it is this baptism by which we are proclaiming we have been made right with God. And we are with Christ. We are his. If we lose that purpose, baptism becomes an empty ceremony. And it has no resulting change of life. No, no, no resulting, it, it's void of, of the true meaning of true salvation. So then it becomes meaningless instead of its intended purpose of being so full of meaning. And the same can be said of the Lord's Supper. If we lose the purpose of the Lord's Supper, it, it becomes nothing more than just a religious ritual. Void of all of the spiritual nourishment and enrichment for which it's intended for us as believers. 
If we don't know the purpose of something, we just go through the motions without any knowledge and substance. I think of that story. You, you all know it, right? We've, you've heard this before of the Christmas ham. The, the, the husband asks his wife, why do you cut the end off of the Christmas ham before you bake it? And she says, that's what my mother did. So he asked his mother-in-law, why do you cut the end off of the ham before you bake it? She said, that's what my mother did. So he asked the grandmother, why do you cut the end off of the Christmas ham before you bake it? And she said, the pan's small. If if you don't know the purpose, you just kind of go through the motions. And we can do that with spiritual things. And when we do that, they are absolutely void of any significance in our spiritual lives. So we can simply go through them and not be impacted, not be changed. So let's make sure that we recapture the purpose of the Lord's Supper before we enjoy the Lord's Supper today. So number one from this text in verses 17 through 22, the Lord's Supper is for building unity in the church. The Lord's Supper is for the purpose of building unity in the local church. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to a local body of believers. And he's addressing this issue of division. He diagnoses the problem as division right rather quickly. And when division prevails, the Lord's Supper is entirely nullified. It, it, it makes, there's no distinction, there's no difference, there's no impact, there's no benefit. In fact, Paul says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. You can call it that, but it's not that. You can have all of the right motions and you can have the right elements and you can say all the right words, but if you've lost the purpose, you've lost the meal. It's just crackers and juice. In their day, it's just bread and wine. It's not the Lord's Supper. So the lack, of, the lack of unity here in the church at Corinth was, is evident because the members, they, they were not there to serve one another. There was no sense of unity among them. They, they were there for their own selfish interests. The Lord's Supper was practiced in conjunction with, with a feast, and the feast had become just a, just a gluttonous mob affair. And yet this meal is meant to display and enrich and deepen unity. You simply can't have unity if you only think of of yourself and your wants and your needs and your preferences and your desires. And so if if you lose unity, you've lost the meal. This meal is actually designed in such a way to foster unity within a local body of believers. First of all, it's it's designed for unity in the focus of this meal. The focus is Christ, not self. The focus is the Savior. Everyone's attention should be drawn to the Lord and who he is and what he has accomplished. 
There should be no focus on any other individual rather than Christ the Savior. When when we gather around this table as sinners, no matter our differences, no matter our backgrounds, no, no matter our viewpoints, whatever they may be, we gather around one person. We gather around one salvation. And that one person who offers this one salvation, the, the umbrella of that salvation is such of a gracious magnitude that it overrides any difference whatsoever. It, it makes us one in Christ. In fact, that was his prayer on his way to the cross, that we would be one And he died for that purpose. That's what the meal represents. That's what the focus of the meal is to unify the people of God who are so different. Who have so many reasons to divide, so many reasons to to not be unified just as any other group. And yet the, the gospel, Christ, brings us together. There's unity in the focus of the meal, which is Christ. But there's also unity in the, in the taking. This is a meal that we take together. No matter what our social status or our education or our ethnicity or our income. Or even our political stance. If we are in Christ, we we eat this meal together in the presence of one another. We We are declaring that we share in the same Christ. We we believe in the same salvation. So that the ground becomes unmistakably level at the foot of the cross. The purpose of of gathering around the table of Christ, one purpose, is that we might be reminded it's Christ who makes us one. Unity in the body of Christ. As far as our external witness and internal harmony, there is no greater pursuit or task than to pursue unity in the body. The second purpose of the Lord's Supper is found in verses 23 through 26. The Lord's Supper is for grounding the church in Christ and in the gospel. So it's not only just to unify us around Christ and the gospel. But it's that it might ground us, it might anchor us in Christ and the gospel. So Paul is refocusing the church in Corinth on the point of the Lord's Supper. So he goes back to the establishing, back to the beginning, back where Christ instituted this meal for our good. And so Paul is saying, listen, don't don't take my words for how important and essential and holy this meal is. Listen to the words of Christ. And so he takes us back to the gospel record of Christ 
establishing this for his people. This supper is about Christ. And if we keep our focus on him, if we keep our focus on the Lord, then we won't veer off into meaningless ritual. The supper is about remembrance, the remembrance of Christ. Christ says, do this in remembrance of me. The focus is Christ. The focus is the gospel. Grounding us in him. Verse 23, we are to remember that he was betrayed. That's how Christ ended up on the cross. Now, Christ came to die for God's people, but you just don't kill Christ. You just don't up and decide to kill Christ. He's God. And he is sovereign over all the affairs of life and and history. He's sovereign over his own death and its timing. And God so designed the events around the death of Christ so that at the right time, when the fullness of time, when it was at the right moment, that the right trigger, the right placing would take place. And that would result in the arrest of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ all through the willingness of Christ. And that trigger was the betrayal of one of his own disciples, one of those 12 who had followed with him so closely, observed so much, and yet in the end betrayed him. One thought to be among his friends, one thought to be his companion. We noted when we studied recently through the Gospel of Matthew, Christ suffered in more ways on our behalf and identifying with us and suffering for us than just physical pain. He was betrayed. That's how he ended up at Calvary. Verse 24, we remember his body was broken on our behalf. Not as the result of something ill or evil or wrong that he had done, but for all of the ill and wrong and evil that we have done. His body was broken for us, Christ says in this passage. This is my body, which is for you. Christ absorbed the punishment that our sin deserved, that that my sin deserved. He took our place. He was wounded for our transgressions. He endured God's just wrath against the sin that we have committed. And so this this broken bread, these wafers, these crackers signify his broken body. Innocent. Innocent of sin, but broken for our sin. His brokenness is precisely what heals our brokenness. He was broken that we might be made whole, absolutely whole, justified, right with God, ultimately glorified before the Lord. In what? In body. In body. Verse 25, we 
We not only remember he was betrayed, we not only remember his body was broken through the taking of the bread together, but verse 25, we remember that his blood cleanses us. It cleanses the sin from our record. So the death of Christ is a, is a twofold handling, complete handling of our sin. That's why there's two elements. In his body, he bore the punishment, the consequence of our sin. In, in his shedding of blood, he removes, he, he washes the record of sin away. He cleanses us from our sin. Sin can only be dealt with in, in one of two ways. Either we have to pay for our record of sin... We have to stand and give an account for every single sin we've ever committed. That is absolutely astounding. And in order to do that, we have to do that throughout eternity. And an infinite amount of time for the crime committed against an infinite creator... That's one way that sin must be dealt with. The sinner must pay for it. And it takes an eternity to do so. But there's another way, simply, purely by God's grace. Simply, purely for the glory of God. Simply, purely that his people would praise and rejoice in his name forever. And that is that there might be a death of a substitute there might be the shedding of the blood of a substitute that would enact that, that God would consider the sin upon the substitute. And in that death, in that death, and in the shedding of that blood, wash away the sin of the sinner. And that's what the cup represents. Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He was the substitute. Now God introduced this idea in the Old Testament, right? The sacrificial system. The day of atonement. And it found its completion. It found its fulfillment in Christ. And it's pictured for us in the cup. What is this cup? This cup represents that Christ's blood removed our sin from our record. So when we drink the cup, what are we doing? Just drinking? No, remembering. Remembering Christ. So this supper is about Christ, the focus is on him, but it's also because the focus is on him and on his death to secure our salvation, then it naturally becomes a supper about the gospel, a supper about proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Christ. So that's why in verse 26, when, when we rightly remember the broken body and the shed blood of Christ to rescue us from our sin out of our helplessness and hopelessness. We are in effect, when we are remembering Christ in his broken body and his shed blood, we are in effect then preaching the gospel. We are saying the gospel through motion, through demonstration, through visual portrayal. 
picturing the gospel to one another by the means of sharing this meal. So we proclaim to one another. What are we proclaiming? Christ is the way. Christ is salvation. When we take the meal, we're proclaiming Christ is my salvation. Christ is my life. Christ has shed his blood on my account. His, His body was broken that I might be saved. He took my place. When we take the meal, when when we take the wafer and when we take the juice, we are saying Christ is everything. He's everything. He's the reason I'm right with God. He's the reason I have the hope of eternal life. I did not do anything to gain eternal life. I did not do anything to make my way to heaven. As a sinner, I did everything I could to stay out of heaven. Christ rescued me. Christ died for me. Christ shed his blood for me. Christ bore my punishment. And when we take that together, when all of us take that together, we are all saying the same thing. Christ is our salvation. Christ is everything. Paul says, keep proclaiming the gospel in this way until he returns. Because that's when your salvation is going to be complete. We take this meal today, we drink this cup in the absence of Christ until the day we drink it in his presence. The last purpose that we'll see from this text in verses 27 through 32, the Lord's Supper is for the sanctification of the church's members. That is the growing in holiness, growing in Christ-likeness, maturing in our faith, growing in our affection for Christ. The Lord's Supper is for the sanctification, the setting apart, the being different, the not of this world, of the church's members. And so Paul warns us that because this meal is unlike any other meal, it's not to be taken lightly. This meal portrays that our salvation was secured by the death of God's only begotten Son. So in the Father's eyes, there is nothing more sacred There is nothing more precious than what we are about to do. Don't take it lightly. In fact, Paul says, if you're not prepared and ready, don't take it at all. Don't render judgment to yourself. God doesn't take it lightly when we take it lightly. This is the death of his son in order that we might have eternal life. Can you imagine just casually going through the motions with no reflection upon the meaning? So how how do we take the meal today in a worthy manner? 
where we hold dear to the purpose of unity. We're reminded in humility to serve one another, not self or self-interest. We're reminded to keep the focus on Christ and the gospel. And because this meal represents our freedom from sin, the point of the text then is that we, we should confess and, and repent of any known sin in our life so that the purpose of this meal might be reflected in those who are partaking. You see, this meal, unlike any other meal, sanctifies the ones who take it in a worthy manner. There's a tremendous spiritual benefit and nourishment for those who approach the table accordingly, rightly, worshipfully, thankfully. I remember when I was growing up, when mother would raise her voice at me, there was on one occasion I would like to hear her raise voice, and that was when she would say, it's ready, let's eat. The meal had been prepared, everything was ready, and, and I was always ready to eat. The meal has been prepared today. And not necessarily by those, we were thankful for those who came to church and made sure these elements were ready for us, but not just because the elements are, are present, but because Christ has given it its meaning. That the meal is ready. Christ has made it ready. The question is, are we ready are we ready to receive it? Have you been saved? Have you truly, wonderfully given your all to Christ? Have you truly embraced and surrendered to Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? That He is your everything. You can, if you have not, you can right here, right now, today. You see, you're not supposed to take this meal if you're not a follower. This is his body for his people. But you can take it today. In the next few moments, we're going to have a time of response before we take this meal. And you can be saved today. Just surrender. Give your life. Give up your sin. Give up your way because your way is not going to save you. Your way is not going to save you. Give it up, embrace Christ, and enjoy this meal. Be saved, and you can be ready. Secondly, for us who proclaim that we are in Christ, is there any known sin in our lives? That's what these next few moments are going to be for us preparing. That we would look back over our life and say, God, is there anything, is there anything in my actions, in my thought, in my motivation, in my words that would detract, that would hinder, that would oppose, that would corrupt the gospel. 
that would make this meal seem meaningless? Are there ways that my life looks just like the world? We need to make that right right now. Confess and repent right now so that we can be ready. So that in the next few moments when we take this meal that's been made ready and we're ready, that God may do a great work in our lives for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in the, in the next few moments as we respond to this message in preparation for this meal, if we are without Christ, Father, let us not think of anyone else or anything else or what anybody else is thinking, only what you are thinking and what you are saying. And if we need Christ, may we come forward this day, right here, right now, and give him our everything just as he has given us his everything. And Father, for those of us who proclaim Christ and we have been clinging on to our ways, our sin, our selfishness, which is at the bottom of this text, Father, help us all as believers to re-examine where we are today and make sure, Father, through confession and repentance, genuine confession and repentance, that we are clean and forgiven and ready to rejoice in Christ together today. That's a work that only you can do. We will never make ourselves right but you can. God, would you do that great work among us today? Begin it in me, Lord. Throughout, the, throughout all of this congregation, in Christ's name we do pray, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.